0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Digital Nomad Mastery Podcast, Hello. where we teach people how to make money while traveling the world. And on uh, these episodes, we'll be interviewing guests from around the world. Uh, so in this first episode, we got Dai, the Moose, Manuel. And uh, just a quick story here, me, Di, and Scott, we actually all from Vancouver, BC, Canada, but now we're in three different continents, in three different countries, in three different cities. So I am here in the Amazon in northern Brazil, in South America. Scott, my co-host, he's actually in Poland, in Europe, and Dai, who our guest is, he's actually in Bali, in Southeast Asia, so we're actually in three continents, which is amazing, and that's the beauty of uh, being a digital nomad, that you can uh, work from anywhere in the world but still be connected through the beauty of technology and Google Hangouts and Skype and podcasting. So on this episode, we'll be interviewing Dai about his uh, lifestyle as a dad, uh, as a family man, as a health uh, guru, and uh, as a coach. Uh, He's known as Coach Moose. Just a quick story. uh, Me and Dai, uh, we've known each other for five years. We actually started a group for dads in Vancouver, BC, Canada, just to inspire, motivate, and encourage, and support fathers. And uh, uh, that's a big passion for all three of us. Uh, fatherhood. Now, Di and me, we're 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 both uh, passionate about our families, but in different parts of the world. Uh, but we still keep in touch through the beauty of social media: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Google Plus, etc. So, die he's currently doing a lot of uh, life coaching and uh, just inspiring people to live fit and active and healthy lives. So, if that's an area that you are struggling with, definitely Di is the guy to talk to. So, uh, let's get the uh, ball rolling. Um, Scott, you're going to do a quick intro, and then we'll. Uh, We'll uh, interview Diademus Manuel.
1: Awesome! Well, I'm excited to be here, everybody, and uh, welcome Di. I'm I'm in Poland, and uh, in the background, I'm just one block off the square. And this is the time on Saturday afternoon when, evidently, all the musicians run wild because I've had an opera singer in the background, and now I have a fiddler in the background. So. If you hear music, uh, that's what's going on. I'm going to be muting myself uh, throughout this so that I don't get too much of the entertainment. I don't want everyone dancing too much when we've got all this great information. You can dance afterwards. So, Guy, I'm curious to know how you came to be in Bali. The last time I saw you, we were all in Vancouver, up on stage. It was pretty cool. And now we're all over the place, which I just think is absolutely amazing. And we're all pretty close to the southern hemisphere, if not uh, you know, right on the equator, so that's really unusual considering Vancouver is a lot closer to the Arctic Circle. So, uh, how did you get to Bali? <laughs>
2: well, by plane. No, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was a bit of a. It's been a bit of a process. My my family and I we've been traveling for about twenty months, and when I last saw you guys, that was on. Uh, the stage at Ricky's large event that he put on. And I had just come back from six months traveling in the U S with my family as part of my book tour. And I was just connecting with our online community, but offline, you know, in real life. But we've had, Aspirations to go overseas to, to really take our whole life fitness manifesto and and just start spreading in other parts of the world, you know, because uh, that's a beautiful thing about what we do. Right, guys, we, we can connect with communities and we're not bound by geography any longer you know, it's the beautiful thing of the internet and, but we still love to use the internet as a tool to really meet more people in real life. And based on that, we've, we set, set our eyes on Bali and we got here a couple weeks ago and we're here for three months and we're really just trying to immerse ourselves in the culture here and, and connection with a lot of other digital nomads. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, you know, it's, it's, it's a different culture altogether and learning to drive a slash bike on the roads here is very different from the North American driving I'm accustomed to so uh, that's that's been sort of the biggest culture shock at least that I've been diving into
0: first uh, head
2: on but um I it's great to connect with you guys and i'm I'm really appreciative for the opportunity
0: yeah we're we're looking forward to hearing all your insights we'd love to hear a little bit of your backstory. I know your backstory because we're good buddies but uh, a lot of our listeners <laughs> don't know it yet uh, so if you want to share a little bit about your why, your raison The Why are you on the road Uh. in Bali, of all places, with your wife and two kids?
2: Well, Ricky, like, like yourself, I, I saw the the opportunity right with with just building a brand online you know I, I come from a traditional business background in, in both sales and operation management you know i was a, a co-founder of a company based at vancouver and we, we had a, a number of retail stores but I've, I've been in the fitness industry for over 20 years and I don't come from sport I don't come from fitness naturally it wasn't something that I was born into like some amazing athletes out there I, I was morbidly obese as a teenager and you know I spent five years uh, really struggling with my health, and then I made some changes, you know, and, and those lifestyle changes have stuck since I was 16, but going through that process of transformation and learning how to really lead a healthy, active lifestyle, I had a lot of people drawn to my story and drawn to what changes I'd made, and I realized I really had a passion for coaching and mentoring people going through similar transformations, and, you know, take that you know, 20 plus years of doing that along with traditional business. And then I started blogging 10 years ago. I can't believe it's 10 years now. And I just started to really dive into the whole online aspect and a couple of years ago, my wife and I looked at each other and she's got a huge passion for travel. She's done a lot of travel. And she said, you know, wouldn't it be great to, to travel with our kids to really have that opportunity to immerse them in other cultures, you know, rather than reading about it in the books or online, what if we could actually get around and live for certain periods of time in these different types of cultures to really expose our kids to those opportunities? And, and I was like, okay, well, nah, let's, let's, let's do this. And fortunately, with what I was building online, it allowed us that opportunity to do that
1: how old are your children and how many do you have
2: (laughs) well uh, I have two two girls and they are now 12 and 14 and yeah so it's uh, they're they're the perfect age for for travel and they're they're really um coming into their own so you know we started traveling when they were 10 and 12 and so they've. You know, they're really starting to, to to warm up to this whole lifestyle, if you will. And my eldest, we we've had some stations that there's been a bit more well, heated at times. You know, she's fourteen, she's coming into her own. And obviously the social element of high school and just about to go into grade nine, she she feels like she's missing out a little bit. So that's created a little bit of of, of Uh, conflict if you will or stress but it's minor you know in the whole scope of things it's been a very small piece of what we've had to deal with but it's a very real piece and 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 I always like to acknowledge that
1: that's really interesting because uh, Ricky and I have had conversations about traveling and of course his children are all under five and my children Ah, are all over 25 and they're oh wow. wow they're still in Canada I don't have to worry about them so I'm kind of the solo <laughs> digital nomad of the group and you're the two dads of the group and it's really interesting uh-huh. and I think I think but I think it's really important to say that you know you're both examples and inspirations of how any time of your life is uh, appropriate if that's what you want to do like it's a it's definitely a decision that you have to think about and you have to decide what sort of lifestyle you want here is one that's a lot different than the 40-year plan, commuting uh, two hours to and from work every day, five days a week, and then being exhausted on the weekends. I think it's just fascinating that you know Ricky's got little babies and you've got teenagers, mm-hmm. and, and every age is way. It's amazing. Like As my kids were growing up, I used to say every age they were was so much fun and so much. Yes. I would never have traded any of it for, you know, it's obviously they all have their challenges as well, but they were really fun. And to travel around with, I have two boys, to travel around with two girls mm-hmm. heading into their teenage years is, you're braver than me. <laughs> but you see, you've, that's, <laughs> you know, my mom said something once uh, that uh, really stuck with me, right? Because I mean, I think of teenage girls, I've dated women with young girls, you know, yeah. six, seven, yeah. 10, 14, 17 years old, you know, I've seen the whole range. Mm-hmm. And my mom once said to me, you know, Scott, when you were six, I would look at the 7- and 8-year-old boys and how they were, and I'd go, oh, if he's like them, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then when you were 8, I'd look at the 10-year-old boys, and I'd go, oh, if he's like that, I don't know what he, well, how I'm going to do it and how I'm going to handle it. And then when you were 14, I'd look at the 18-year-old boys and say the same thing. And he says, what I realized is, is that I grew with you. so uh, you know. So you see kids at a certain age, and you know how to deal with them, We don't really, as parents, know how to deal with somebody that's five years older than our children, you know, as our child, because we haven't yet yet to grow into it. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people, when they talk about digital nomads, is they Hmm. they don't realize that you can you grow into it. Like I think there's very few people in the world who you know parents were digital nomads and they continued being digital nomads for the rest all you know from when they were born to when they were 110 and died i think what happens is is that you grow into it and i know in like in my story in 2014 and 15 and 16 i made six to eight week trips from Mm -hmm. vancouver down to central america down to south america to see what it was like, because it was kind of like, do I really want to do this? I don't know. So rather than, you know, throwing everything away and just taking off, you know, I sort of dipped my toe in and then I planned and I dipped my toe in some more. I liked it. And now I'm on this odyssey that has taken me through Morocco and Sicily and Rome and Greece and Turkey and Bulgaria and Macedonia and Poland. And it's just, you know, all these little dots that I save on the... Google map, showing me where I've been, it's really exciting, you know.
2: <laughs> I love it, Scott. That's amazing. It really is.
0: Yeah. So that's actually a perfect yeah. segue because I was going to ask you like, how did you prepare to leave? I mean, Scott prepared uh, to leave on his big European adventure here, European Northern yeah. African adventure, uh, by doing some tests, He went to like uh, Central America, South America. So Dai, you've been a digital nomad for about 20 months, as you said. Uh, so yeah. in between, you know, leaving a corporate job, becoming an internet marketer, online marketer, life coach, uh, tell us a little bit about the journey and some of the practical steps and maybe some of the hiccups, some of the challenges, because it's one thing to see us now on the road, but there were a lot of challenges for me and my wife and kids to to actually leave Vancouver. And, and, and I know right. there's a lot of challenges with you as well, Di, and with Scott. So if you don't mind sharing that with our listeners, Di.
2: Sure. And I mean, I was only laughing while you were saying that because we are very brash people, my wife and I. Okay, so we we tend to rush in, we rip the band-aids off whenever we can, and we just do it. And... And we have a slogan, we just did it, you know, like we we encourage people within our tribe and within our community, you know, it's one thing to always be someone that says I should have, would have, could have. What if you can be the person that says I already did it, you know, it, it's so much more empowering, right? <laughs> and so what happened was I quit my job at 17 years, you know, wow. my wife a month after that quit her job. We were both like in corporate type positions, you know, lots of responsibility, but I I provided plenty of notice with where I was working at the time and almost half a year uh, notice that I would be leaving the company. And my wife gave plenty of notice and and trained someone up. So we left on great terms and I had a book that I had written and it was in preparation to be launched. So this is, you know, come August one, I left my position. I knew January one my book was being released. My wife left her job September one. We pulled the kids out of school a couple months later. You know, mid mid fall, sort of between October and November, both kids were pulled out of school because we were going to homeschool them, or road school, I guess, life school. However you want to put that into whatever kind of framework you want. And we knew that come January first we were traveling. Basically from August one. To January one to get rid of all our stuff. You know, like we didn't put it into storage, we got rid of it all. And what we couldn't part with were more like the baby mementos, you know, some photos, certain things that had emotional value. And based on that, we've got a small little storage unit. We threw all that stuff in there. We packed our SUV in our suitcases, and that was it. Everything that we own literally fits in our suitcases and our SUV. And we took off. We, we started heading down the coast. Uh, we didn't do a lot of prep. I, I got to be honest. My wife did plenty of prep. She'd been listening to all the podcasts, connecting with people online, various Facebook communities. There's a lot of digital nomads out there. And it's a growing community. It is. It's constantly growing. And, and you, you think about it, to, to your words earlier, Scott, you, you know, it's, it's a very young Right? like If you think about the amount of new jobs there are in the world today, just because of the internet and how accessible and high speed it is now globally, it, we, we see a lot of people with virtual offices. And they can run their businesses very successfully off of a cell phone. And you just got to think, well, if you got a global connectivity through the internet, well, you could basically be anywhere and run your job you know, and run your business. So things have changed so quickly, especially in the last three years. I just look at the last three years and the development in the tech world. It's like, oh my gosh, Uh, you know, so we're very fortunate. We are in a way pioneers, right? We're still the early pioneers off trailblazing uh, and setting a new path. And so here we are. You know, Christy and I just said, "Okay, enough's enough. Let's go do this. And we've been figuring it out as we go. So as much to what you were saying, Ricky, have we made some mistakes? Well, I don't look at them as mistakes. I look at them as learning opportunities. And uh, we've had plenty, you know, for sure. (laughs) Um, But coming overseas, both of you guys are already very uh, fluent in this aspect because, you know, there's shots, there's insurance. Um, my daughter and I each have autoimmune diseases, so we have to, we're on specific medications for that. So we had to do some research into the medical coverage. Uh, what could we take with us? Cause we're on biologics, which need to be refrigerated. So you can imagine it was 40 hours of travel for us to go from Toronto to Bali. Figuring out how to transport our medication. like So there's been some stuff, right? Some stuff. But we figured it out. We got here. I'm, I'm sitting beside my fridge in our kitchen here, and it's got our meds in it. So uh, <laughs> we're all good. But, yeah, everybody on every journey has got different ups and downs and side bends and overs and unders. And we just sort of take them as they come.
1: And I think that's a real important point. You know, being flexible and being persistent. So I have to ask you: that was this past, this is May. This past January, you left Toronto.
2: I uh, sorry. Uh, it was January twenty sixteen that we left Vancouver. Go. Okay. Yeah. So it's over a year ago. So almost 20 months ago, we, we set out. Yeah. January 2016 is when my book released. And we, we had a kickoff event in Vancouver and we had already you know given up our place, given away all our stuff. We packed our SUV after the book launch, we, we took off. And we, we spent the better part of that year for that six months traveling around the United States. And then we came back to Vancouver and that's when we saw you guys at the event. And then on Canada day, we were like, okay, we're out again. And we then traveled across Canada for a number of months. And then we just recently, um, my father became quite ill with uh, pancreatic cancer. So we we actually planted a flag, so to speak, for uh, an extended period of time in Ontario, using that as a home base. And we did a lot of traveling around uh, uh, Eastern US as well as Eastern Canada from that spot so we could spend time with family. And again, that's another advantage of being a digital nomad. You know, you, you have ha- family problems or you have health issues in your family. Well, you can pick up your business and literally transplant yourself to be there with those people during those times, you know, and I feel very, very fortunate that we had that opportunity to spend that time with my dad as he was going through pancreatic cancer. And then when he passed, uh, that was when we said, okay, well now we can go overseas, you know? And, uh, and that's when we left for, for Bali, you know, about a month after my dad had passed.
1: Wow. yeah, you, you remind me of the first time I was a digital nomad was in 1978, and I left. What? Home. No way! Wow! That's was they for- okay. there back
0: <laughs> then in 1978? <1978. laughs>
1: yeah, it was actually they called it analog did nomads because there was no such thing as digital. <laughs> we had Polaroids and postcards yeah. and uh, landlines. So and no, like there was no credit card, there was no bank card, there was no cell phone, there was no email, there was no Facebook, there was nothing wow. and i would uh, send my dad an email from the malaysian thai border and he would get it two weeks later and he'd get my wow. uh, postcard he would read it he'd sit down he'd open up the paper he'd start reading the paper and you know in the paper at the bottom they have this little teeny weeny article from somewhere in the world well in, yeah. invariably it was bus stopped by a gang of bandits on the thai malaysian border and after the and the reason it made the news was because after that it had been robbed a half a mile further on a second band of bandits stopped it and were very upset because all the money had already been stolen (laughs) so (laughs) he gets his postcard and then he gets this email this uh, newspaper clipping and and it just freaked him right out because he had no idea where i was right he would get two weeks later you know now i'm somewhere else and my mom had no idea. So, uh, you know, being a. <laughs> That's <laughs> was,
2: incredible. Yeah, incredible. A, a lot well, of fun.
1: Just-, just going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what are some of your favorite digital nomad uh, tools or gears that, you know, stuff that you've got? Like I'm out and I, I want to ask the, the second question, too. So it's you, your wife, two daughters. How many pieces of luggage do you travel with? You know, we've, well, like I
2: said, before we were traveling around North America, so it was whatever could fit in our SUV and our Thule on top. That was it. That was what we were limited to. Um, But going overseas, we decided, okay, we're going to invest in some good luggage. And so it's our first time buying as i like to say big people luggage you know like it's not just mixed matches of all this different stuff we we decided to invest in some herschel bags and uh, so we got some really quality and we we got a full suite of them so we got two bags each and a couple carry on uh, like laptop bags and that kind of stuff so we are we've got a variety of options to choose from and i have two bags a laptop bag and a backpack and then my wife's got a uh, backpack her laptop bag and two bags and then my kids are backpacks and two suitcases each so it, it, it sounds like a lot but it's actually it's very manageable um with four people you know it's not right. like my kids are of the age now i'm like ricky like ricky's kids i know that uh being the size that they are if they each have their own suitcase it means ricky's carrying not only his kids he's also carrying his kids suitcases
1: <laughs> and his own suitcases <laughs> so, uh- that's right. Yeah, so your that's your right. children can help out which is a uh, which is yes. a wonderful benefit, <laughs>
0: that's, right? That's exactly but what lovely I'm lovely getting. luckily the kids right. are small. So because the kids are so tiny, their weight of their clothes is very small as well. So we don't have to carry uh, a lot of stuff because they're so young.
2: So even going to warm places Ricky there's not so much clothing
1: required.
2: I overpacked for Bali. That's all I can say. So <laughs>
1: I think that's what happens in the first couple trips because my first trip down yeah. to South America, I overpacked and then I started to, which was another reason why I did the the six week jaunts is I wanted to know how much clothes do I need, right? Right. And, yeah. Uh, totally. I basically have a, a laptop bag and a suitcase that fits above my seat in the airplane. If I just, <laughs> I don't, I always pack, it, you know, put it away because I don't want to yeah. have it around, but it would fit there if I if it had to. So. That's all I've got. So, Ricky, your turn. How many? uh, You've got what? Fourteen bags of luggage that you travel with.
0: (laughs) You know what? uh, 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 I I did a lot of backpacking in my twenties, so I learned that number one of travel. The number one rule of travel is this: travel light. (laughs) And uh, uh, you you know, this is also saying that you put everything that you want to do go on the trip, like all of your clothes, all of your uh, the gear, the gadgets, etc. And then what you do is you pack half the clothes and you bring twice the money because (laughs) you're you're definitely going to need more money than you think you will, and you're definitely going to need less clothes than you're thinking you're bringing. So we only have uh, two suitcases and one backpack, and that's enough for me and my wife and three kids. And uh, the backpack has like a laptop, toiletries, passports, and kind of like the the more practical stuff. And then the two suitcases have our, our clothes. Like swimming, wear it all. But even that is actually too much. Now that we've been traveling for five months, and I didn't really share a little bit about where, we, where we've been, but uh, we went to uh, the Philippines first, then Hong Kong, then Dubai, then South Africa, uh, Brazil, Paraguay, Argentina. Uh, tomorrow we're actually heading up to uh, uh, French Guyana, Suriname, and then English Guyana, where finally I'll be able to speak English again. After months of Portuguese and Spanish, it's going to be a relief to actually uh, be around English speaking people in, in English Guyana, which is the former English colony. Nice. Um, so, r- what we really realized is we actually didn't need two bags. We could have probably done it with one big suitcase. Uh, in terms of the suitcase, I would re- advise something like a hard shelled one uh, because the clock, clock ones they can easily rip in airplanes or in terminals or uh, when you're on the go, when you're going up and downstairs, etc. So, a hard shelled backpack with four wheels. Uh, and they should be rotating wheels. Uh, some people travel with the two wheels, uh, but they're a lot harder to maneuver. Um, So four wheels on the bottom is a good thing and with a backpack if you can actually get a backpack with wheels uh, We actually just ended up getting one here in Brazil because we had a traditional backpack But uh, sometimes you don't want to actually carry something in your back. You just want to roll it along Uh, so if you can get like a kind of like a hybrid between like a traditional backpack and a suitcase uh, which is kind of like a a Rolling a rolling backpack. So that's been really useful for us and uh, since we're talking about packing I do not know if you guys use packing cubes um, but if you can have color-coded packing cubes for each member of the family, especially if you have multiple family members, so um, you can use the traditional colors like uh, blue yeah, for the need, boys, I pink need for the girls. A color
1: cube for me, and then another one for me, and then another one for me, and then a fourth <laughs> one for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but your uh, color cubes will be actually different stuff it'll be your underwear in one and your shorts in another and your t-shirts in another and then your electronics in another and the biggest one will be all of your podcast gear right Scott?
1: that's right yeah. That's right. I'll, I'll have one for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday through, so I don't have to worry about what I'm going to wear I just pull that one out and put it on exactly
0: seven seven different color, color cubes uh, packing cubes so that's been invaluable that's a the good color, idea the I really like
1: that cubes. that's a great idea I, and I, I'm totally with you on the four wheels. And I actually broke my suitcase. the The handle that comes up, the top broke off. Mm-hmm. So I got being Scottish, I got crazy glue, and I crazy glued it back on. And then I got tape, and I taped it back on. And and oh, it lasted wow. one uh, van trip from where I was staying outside of Poland. <laughs> To the bus depot, and then I started walking down the road, and the handle came right off. So I just walked uh, down the street, and what my tip is, get uh, get a bag that is not black because you sit there and mm-hmm. they're all black, and if you're not careful, chances are you'll pick the right one. But what if somebody else thinks yours is theirs? Because I have, yeah. I, you always have about eight that are exactly not exactly, but very close to mine, and so I got a. Ugly, 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 kind of aqua bluish, not really green <laughs> colored one. <laughs> so I will know mine from now on. It'll stand yeah. out like neon lights.
0: Yeah, I totally agree on that. Uh, we have a blue hard shell backpack and we have purple. And uh, uh, right away I can tell, okay, that's ours. And it stands out. Uh, and also like the blue and the purple is good too, because it's mostly like my, my clothes and stuff in blue and my wife's clothes and stuff's in the purple so when we so it's good to have different colors i think uh, color coding stuff really helps and differentiating yourself helps
1: this this is from the guy that spends all day with the crayons with his children right it's color coding <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you see my daddyblogger.com logo it's a it's a it's a color uh, crayon colors Crayola colors cool
1: i love it so do love you it. notice uh, do you notice that you feel lonely, or you miss home, or and, and as part of this discussion now, where we want to go, I want to talk a little bit of the emotional ups and downs because, uh, you know, obviously with your father, there, that was very emotional, mm-hmm. and so you know, how do you kind of deal with the, or do you feel lonely at all when you're traveling?
2: Well, you know, I I don't probably, I mean, we we haven't felt that way yet, um, but also I've been. <laughs> I mean, to be to be fair too, I've had a lot of small trips back to Vancouver. Um, I, I do quite a bit of media. So I've had some media tours across Canada. I've had some speaking opportunities across Canada as well as in the US. So I do was doing a lot of all travel jaunts and I would end up meeting with certain people, but it was also very social, you know? Uh, so there was lots of opportunities to plug back in, even though it was only a few days, but it's amazing. A few days of just is plenty right it's enough to just like oh yeah i remember this (laughs) it it hasn't changed it's all good (laughs) but you know traveling with my family it's it's they're the most people most important people to me and and so by having them with me i i don't feel lonely no but also we're we're very tight with our online community And we're also very quick to make friends wherever we travel or for people that we're already connected with. And then we get to meet them in real life uh, at different places that we travel to. So uh, I guess based on that, uh, I I haven't really had to deal with any loneliness, but I, I could imagine that that would be a very... Uh, real thing that you would have to deal with, especially if you're a solo and, and as Ricky just mentioned, you know, he, he's just about to venture back into a English speaking territory where he's been, you, you know, and if you're not fluent in the native tongue and you're traveling on your own, I can imagine if you're not meeting other backpackers, other travelers, other digital nomads, that that would be very lonely based on that lack of communication opportunities. Right. Uh, and so I, I definitely can see how it could be that way. Um, I, I've just been fortunate. We're we're still young in our journey, so I, I'm sure if you ask me that question again a year from now, I'll have a different answer.
0: And you you know what I find is the hardest thing about the loneliness factor, even as a traveling family, is for our kids. Uh, because for me, I'm very adaptable. I can make friends easily for like a, a week or five days or three days, and then. The kids are named after wine and cheese. cheese oh Chardonnay yeah,
2: yeah, Chardonnay and Brie. I know. Yes, they're uh, a couple socialites in the yeah. making. So uh, they are very quick. I, literally, we, we got here to Bali. I'm unpacking. You know, the guy that picked us up drove us from uh, to our villa, and next door there's some expats here, and literally some Australians and. They have two kids, and they are 11 and 15. So you can imagine, it's like instantly, they, they were friends. They were playing in the pool that same afternoon together. So when you travel with kids, it's where that kids are very open, very sociable. It, it's amazing how quickly you make friends with other parents. And and also on that note, um, as I've been traveling around North America, now even overseas, I've always made a point of going to the local CrossFit gyms. And for those that know me, I've been in the CrossFit community for, for almost as long as I've been blogging about 10 years. And so as I travel, I always visit those CrossFit boxes and they're a very uh, welcoming community of people. So I go in, I have a workout, I get to meet the local people that train there. uh, Some of the coaches, the owners of these clubs and inevitably they'll always point me in the right direction of other cool stuff to do in the area. Like, so as soon as literally the three days of arriving in Bali, I went and got a membership at CrossFit Wanderlust here in, in Canggu. And uh, so I've been going there three or four times a week while I've been here and and meeting lots of cool people through that community so that they, I mean whatever you're into if you have a hobby find out where the local clubs are that you're traveling to and uh, make a point of connection with those people because you've already got something that's a very common passion uh, we all know when you find that passion that you you share an interest with somebody else with it goes beyond language you know it really does it doesn't matter if you you're speaking a different language, you have a similar passion, you're going to figure out a way to communicate because there's that commonality there that's going to outweigh everything else.
1: Yeah, and as the only one that's alone, I'll say that, first of all, a lot of the communication I did at home was online with people that weren't in my city. So that hasn't Mm -hmm. changed. And I have a number of interests that include uh, salsa dancing and Mm -hmm. yoga. So I always look for the local salsa club or classes right. and then I also look for the local yoga place to go do yoga. And the other thing yeah. with the way I'm traveling is there's a site called Workaway and you can volunteer. So for 2 or 3 weeks mm-hmm. of the year, I actually go and volunteer and they put me up and everything else. So I actually live with people in the community, which means all of a sudden I'm part of a family because I'm a friendly guy and they're all welcoming or they wouldn't be part of this community of people <laughs> right. that are inviting people into their homes and and the result is, is that I get to meet them. I get to meet their friends in the community and, and I've never, I've never felt lonely at all. Actually. That's super cool. Wow.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you are really glad you bring up these community things because back in Vancouver, that was my biggest passion. And it's still my biggest passion hmm. is community building. You can actually find communities based on your passion. Like these guys were saying. So like die, he's really passionate about health. So he finds CrossFit, uh, Scott, uh, he's passionate about yoga uh, and salsa dancing so he can find communities. For, for me, like, I like public speaking, and I know Dai does as well. So there's actually Toastmasters clubs around the world. Mm-hmm. If you like speaking and all of a sudden when you're traveling, you miss out on public speaking and uh, inspiring people through that modality. You can actually speak at other Toastmasters. and like, For example, I was in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. And they were holding a contest for like uh, their area. And they needed a guest speaker. Uh, so they were like, hey, this guy is here from Vancouver, Canada. Let's bring him in as a guest speaker. And I got to share. And uh, people really loved it because they used to just getting South African speakers or Cape Town speakers. Yeah. So they, I was a special overseas international speaker. and They didn't have to pay me a dime. <laughs> uh, so it was good for them. Good for I, I, I had I an had opportunity to speak. And they had an opportunity to get an international speaker. So uh, toastmasters has been good. Uh, couchsurfing, yeah. Uh, so even uh, though uh, you know uh, we are family travelers, there's actually couchsurfing communities uh, where you can uh, uh, meet other travelers, uh, both locals and overseas people. Uh, there's a really good group as well. It's called Internations, um, and feel free, to, uh, Scott, to put this in the show notes. It's called Internations.org, and it's basically communities of expats around the world. Uh, so again, in Cape Town, there's an inter community. And it will basically be expats from Europe and North America, South America, uh, other parts of Africa who have come to Cape Town and all these expats meet together. There's an community in Vancouver, which I didn't even know about when I was living in Vancouver, but basically it's people who have made Vancouver their home base. And inter is a global community that I just discovered about a couple of months ago. And it's really good to connect with other expats who are not just traveling and leaving, traveling and leaving but they've actually formally relocated to a new country. There's also co-working spaces, you know, in the hotels or the hostels or uh, the guest houses. Sometimes it's hard to work, especially if you have kids around or if you don't have good internet. So if you go to a coworking space, you can either meet with other digital nomads and build a community. Yeah, so, Ricky,
1: I um, want to jump in yeah. right there because uh, that's what no. I did when I went to Macedonia because I had been in Greece and I had been in Turkey both of whom have really bad internet. So all of a sudden, the number one priority for Scott was to go someplace that had good internet. And one of the digital nomads' co-working sites had a list of uh, co-working spaces in every country around the world or every country that they knew of, and they had one in Macedonia. So I emailed them, and I said, how fast is your internet? It was 100 megs down and 100 megs up. And I said, great, I'm coming. And so I ended up spending a week In Sophie in Macedonia and when they because I'm communicating with them as I'm coming trying to figure out how to get there and everything else I told them a little bit about well they asked I told them a little bit about myself they got excited and they had an event one evening and they just said Scott we'd really like to have you talk about the video uh, you know courses that you do and the podcasting and what uh, uh, young people in Macedonia can do to to have a better life than what we can you know because the jobs that they get there are very poor paying and there's not a lot of opportunity. So there's a lot of opportunity in the world and how can we take advantage of that? So there, one night I stayed and we had a, a group, a nice great group of people and talked about that. And it wasn't uh, like a formal talk, it was more answering their questions because I didn't really know, there was no way to prepare, I didn't know who was coming or what they sure. were interested in. But every one of them had a skill that, that they could use online and I and I basically said to them, most of the people who earn income in the city that they live in are poor, not everybody, but the majority are. And I said, when you when you make income from outside your city, you're usually far better off. And that came from my experience in Medellin, Colombia, because I was uh, staying in a penthouse, had eight bedrooms, and there was a guy from Edmonton and a guy from Vancouver. That was me. And we were talking, and we were thinking, you know, the the lifestyle we could have in Medellin based on the money that we were making in Edmonton or Vancouver was far better than the lifestyle we could have in Edmonton or Vancouver. And sure. uh, and and I think for a lot of countries, that's really a true thing, right? Like if you can get twenty bucks an hour out of some guy in New York to do his blogging or something, you're you're only going to get three dollars an hour in in India or Macedonia or any, some of these other places. Right. So,
0: so you're currently in Bali, Adai, and I'm sure there are a lot of cultural differences between Indonesia and Canada. And I'm sure there are a lot of cultural differences between Poland and Brazil and back in Canada, because that's the, that's the one thing that us three have in common besides being fathers and entrepreneurs is we're all uh, from Canada and now we're no longer in Canada. We're in South America, (laughs) Asia, and Europe. Uh, so let's uh, let's move the conversation into that area and tell us, a uh, Dai, what have you found? Because you were traveling a lot in Canada, U.S. Uh, you mentioned the West Coast, East Coast, which is not much difference. There's not much difference yeah. between Vancouver and Toronto, or between no. uh, LA and New York. You know, people in uh, California and New York might say differently, but not as many differences <laughs> as there are between Canada and Indonesia. So, what have you found in the last few weeks of being in Indonesia?
2: Well, and to be fair, you know we've only been here a couple of weeks, and this is our first foray as a family into you know I I, I even struggle saying third world country right because uh, honestly we're in changu and Semiac. the the area that we're staying it's there's a lot of tourism here I mean it's clearly a driver of the economy and based on that the the, the businesses that we're dealing with and even some of the infrastructure here is propped up, right? Compared to some other areas of Indonesia. So we are in a bit of a bubble that way, but there still are a lot of cultural differences, you know, and we're learning that sort of as we go. And, uh, you know, just even understanding how... to drive like the, the driving just blows my mind here right like it's it's crazy it is organized chaos I, I equate it to it's like being back in vancouver and watching the salmon swim upstream they're all going the same direction but they're over and they're under they're left they're right they're jumping they're <laughs> they're, they're diving down and it's like that watching the traffic here because there's no real control right there's no lights per se or or if there are lights no one obeys them it, it's just they go they stop and and it's just been a learning experience driving in this. And uh, so that's just one way. And then it also it's just some of the smaller things, you know, like even when it comes to tipping here, you don't realize, they don't expect it. But when you do give it, it's a, it's a really big thanks. But to us, it's, it's like nothing. Like here we get delivery. You know, if you come to Bali, there's an app you got to download called Gojek literally everything can be delivered to you directly like at any time of day. You know, we get meals delivered right to our villa and it costs about 50 cents to get these meals delivered. Like they'll go to buy it from the restaurant that you want and then they'll deliver it to you. And you know, we're like, man, that's a lot of work. You saved us a lot of hassle. So we'll always usually double or triple up on what their fee would normally be to deliver this. That's a dollar 50 for us. But I'll tell you to them, it it is huge. And you've just paid them a great compliment and saying, thank you. And, So just these small little things, right? And even the bartering, like, uh, or not even so much bartering, but negotiating, like, we're not, we are tourists right now, you know, and we're, we recognize to save 50 cents or a dollar on a purchase to us, we're not in that position, right? Like, we realize that these people are working for their money, and they're working hard for it. And uh, so we haven't even gone into that, but yeah, I, I know reading a lot of the, the blogs, I mean, part of the communities, they're always like negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. We haven't done that yet, but, uh, I, I do want to go to the the local markets here and especially they have some evening markets in, in town and to at least play that sport, so to speak. You know, I think it would yeah. be a lot of fun for my kids to, to, to do that. But right now I, uh, we haven't, uh, again, we're two weeks in guys. Like you guys have way more experience and can speak to this much more um, eloquently uh, than I can. Just based so let on let me jump in, uh,
1: die because you yeah. made some really good points. And one of the things that a lot of travelers say is, you know, make sure that you get the best price that you can. And everything else because you're making it mm-hmm. worse for the following the travelers that follow you. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't actually uh, adhere to that at all. I think what you're doing is is actually mm-hmm. really the best way to go. Certainly, it's the abundant way to go. And um, yeah. I, I came to uh, Poznań Poznan in Poland, where I am now. And when I get off the train or I get off the bus or, the, or I get off the plane, what I tend to do is just get in a taxi and say, take me. And I just say, whatever the price is, is what the price is. And I know yeah. it's always been 20 to 50% cheaper than if I got off the Vancouver airport and I had to go home. Right. And so part of me says, you know, if a if a taxi driver in Bali rips you off by charging you a dollar more than he charges everybody else, uh, is he ripping you off or the fact that you're paying 10 percent what you'd pay at home mean that you're ripping him off? Right. Because you can just turn it around the other way. And and if we want to get poverty out of the third world countries that we that we love, uh, one of the ways that you do it is by paying a fair wage, not subsistence
0: wage. Exactly, I, yeah. And I had, a, said funny,
1: I had a funny ha- thing happen when I got here because I took the train from Berlin, got off, and then there was one taxi driver, and he was 300 pounds and, I don't know, four feet around if he was an ounce. He was huge. And so he spoke no English. And so wow. I have my little iPad, and I always show – and if it's a if it's if I'm in Japan, it'll be in Japanese writing, not English. Right. But I always show where I'm going, and they'll they'll talk yeah. about it, they'll think about it, they'll talk to their friends, and then eventually they'll be go yeah or okay, or, that's what they know, and off we go. So he takes me to my place, and I have to meet uh, a group of people in the old town. So basically, my place is here, the taxi driver and the train station is here, and where I'm going is over here so i end up walking because there are no taxis around back to this taxi stand and guess who's standing there the same taxi ah. driver right so when i paid him the first time i didn't really have any local polish money i just arrived and there was no exchange so and all i had in my wallet was a 10 euro 10 euros which is yeah like it was probably 2 euros for the trip but i didn't care like here's okay. the money have help thank you very much and 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 you know you know have a good life you know and so when i so i got polish money got to the taxi stand saw the guy smiled and i said i'm back i need to go and i showed him on the map where i needed to go oh yes 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 okay 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 we get in and then he talks for like two minutes in polish and he's like telling me something and i have no clue because i just want to go Uh eat with my friends and then he says okay and i go okay I have no clue what he says. Ah. So off we go. And then we get to the restaurant. I pull out my wallet and I have a hundred zoikies or something, whatever it is in Poland. I'm sorry. I can never say the name right. And I hand it it to him. No. Yeah, it was a hundred. So he goes, oh, okay. He takes it. He pulls out his wallet and he pulls out a bunch of bills and he hands it back to me. And I'm assuming that's my change. And he goes, no, no, no. Look. And he opens it. He spreads them all out. He basically gave me change for 100 <laughs> He wasn't taking my money, right? Because oh. I paid so much the first time. He said, no, I." so mm. I think what he told me was, this trip is free, right? But I didn't oh, know. Right? Good man. So, wow. and, but the, the point is, is that if you talk to anybody about taxi drivers, most people will tell you that they will rip you off. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and I think if I was Polish, there would be a totally different story. Just like if I'm Canadian and sure. I arrive at YVR, it's a totally different story. But I think we forget yep. that they're human, that they enjoy serving people and they you know when you make them feel good, they feel good. and they have a bad reputation based just like any industry uh, can have a bad apple. you know certainly the taxi drivers have bad apples too. but <laughs> I wanted to tell that story because usually we have this adversarial, relationship with these people that are making yeah. life so easy for us because they know like I'm watching this guy drive and I'm just thinking oh man like I'm totally lost like these cities are not square right and they're going in every yeah. which direction and he's going safely <sighs> and I arrived so what could be better than that
2: absolutely you know I'd rather get in a cab and uh, pay a little bit extra man just to know I'm going to get to where I got to get to <laughs>
0: There's nothing like Speaking getting on of a bus and
1: finding out you go the wrong way. <laughs>
0: Speaking of cabs, yeah. if you don't want to be ripped off, uh, but, but we know that in uh, the third world, unfortunately, you can be ripped off, even though there's honest and dishonest people. You can use a tool like Uber. I mean, uh, we in Vancouver mm-hmm. don't have Uber yet. Uh, it's got approved, so hopefully we'll get it by the end of the year. But uh, in almost all the other countries we've been traveling to, we have Uber. And uh, the beautiful thing about Uber is uh, uh, you have the app, and it will actually tell you exactly how much you pay, and you don't even have to deal with cash. It will just get uh, charged either through your credit card, or through your PayPal. Um, So that's a little tip. Um, And I I wanna share about culture differences for me. Definitely in Brazil, uh, my biggest shock was the language. I knew a lot of Brazilians, uh, like living in Vancouver, and all the Brazilians I knew in Vancouver, they spoke perfect English, or or English with a slight, you know, Latino accent. But coming here was a huge culture shock, because I got into, we got into Sao Paulo, uh, which is the biggest city in the Southern Hemisphere. And we got in there, we checked into a hotel. Even the hotel itself at the reception, they knew no English. So we asked them questions about our room, about, you know, like um, uh, restaurants in their nearby area, uh, sightseeing, et cetera. And they couldn't speak any English at all, even uh, basic stuff. So I was like, oh, man. Uh, And for the first week, it was a really tough journey because we'd go to restaurants and everything would be in Portuguese. There would be no pictures on the menu. We'd be trying to take public transport. Uh, We even went to a museum in Sao Paulo. It was called the Museum of African Culture. They talked about the the slaves who came across the Atlantic from Africa to South America. We were looking forward to learning about the slave trade. Unfortunately, everything in the museum was Portuguese. So we were looking at all these Uh. pictures and artifacts and uh, we had no idea what any of this stuff was about. And even in the museum, you would think like it would be tourist friendly, foreign friendly, but even in the museum itself, is all in Portuguese. So it's been definitely a tough journey in South America for us. We obviously don't know Portuguese. We've learned maybe 20 to 30 words. But still, like, uh, it's been tough. We communicate through body language, through hand gestures. Uh, we occasionally do find English people, English-speaking people. Um, but even the young people, like the people in high school, university, even they can't speak English. So uh, it's really the people who are more... Um, globally minded, maybe the people who have uh, lived overseas for a year, who, 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 are, who are a little bit more educated or who travel more. So uh, that's definitely been the biggest challenge so far. Uh, but body language, hand gestures, uh, will translate, you can definitely become your best friend if you're dealing with that. <laughs> the other big difference was the barrier, boundaries. Like for example, with a kid in Canada, no one ever touches your kid. It's kind of like, there's boundaries you don't touch other people's kids or you don't touch other people here like uh, they'll touch our kid on the the head uh they'll they'll uh just start talking to them or just uh, cuddle them or uh, grab them which we we have no problem with maybe some other people who are a little bit more reserved will have a problem with other strangers touching your kids but uh, we really like that and that was something unique and different that we never experienced because we've never really traveled around latin america this was our first forte into uh um, oh, this is our first ever visit to South America, so we like that part of the the culture that is very family friendly, very kid friendly. But yeah, say say goodbye to boundaries. So if you if you <laughs> like your personal space, if you if you're traveling through Asia, Africa, South America, you're gonna uh, definitely uh, have some challenges if you if you like your personal space.
1: That's that's really true, that's and sense. that's one of the beauties of the traveling for me is the fact that I get to experience a different way that people interact and they are, are, and they're together. And a lot of times I really appreciate it. Like, I really think, wow, like this is yeah. like, one of the things that's happened with my travels is I realize what a poor host I've been in, in Canada, right? Cause like these people just go so far above and beyond what, mm. uh, what I would expect and, and certainly what I would have done when I was home. And, and uh, that's part of the growth, right? Mm. We're getting towards the end yeah. of our time here. and uh, Day, I just wanted to ask you if you could tell us all a little bit about a little bit more about some of the stuff that you do, like when you're a wellness coach and a mentor. You know how that kind of uh, what you sort of do there, and then also let everybody know how they can get a hold of you and find out more of of what it is that that you can do for them.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks, Scott. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I do a number of different things online and that, that's the beauty of working online. You, you can figure out what, what is your, your niche? You know, what's your specialization? What's your expertise? And is there opportunities to digitize not only your knowledge, but your services? And for the most part, I, I think for pretty much anybody out there, there's an opportunity, you, you know, um, some might need to be a bit more creative than others, but uh, there's definitely opportunities, especially if you have some, some skill sets. From myself, I, I mean, I, I started blogging 10 years ago, so I have a, a very well-read blog. It's diamondwell.com. So I, I, basically everything's by my name, but I do a lot of writing and contracted writing uh, as well as I, I just create a lot of content. An offshoot of my book is the whole life fitness manifesto. It's absolutely free for people to join runs in 28 day phases, but I provide people with daily workouts, mindfulness prompts, as well as personal development, teach you how to, how to leverage 2% of every day, which is 30 minutes every day that you invest in the number one asset you got, which is you, you know, your body, mind, and spirit. So I I provide a free program that people can participate in. Now as an offshoot of that, I, I do have people that want a bit more. You know, they want more out of life. They're looking to either make some significant changes as it relates to career or to life. And I have a full life by design program, which is dives deep. It's part of my life coaching as well as my executive business coaching. With that background and my experience, you know, 17 years of building a, a multi retail chain. To also building a global brand online over the last 10 years, I, I bring a couple different skill sets, which is unique. And I'm able to really dive in deep with people that are looking to make some significant changes. And we do that through a one on one coaching program that I offer. So uh, the easiest way for people to get a hold of me, Diamond Well, on any social platform. That's D A I M A N u-e-l it's the advantage you know before google came around i used to to think that i had the most strange and oddest name like why would my parents give me that name uh die is a welsh name for david manuel is a portuguese last name which you've probably met some Manuels, ricky on your travels as of late (laughs) and uh yeah so i'm a bit of a a a mutt right and uh, i got this name and when it Google came out. It's Google fodder because I am the only one with that name. So you type my name into Google, you will find me, and I am an army of one. So you shoot a message to me. It is me that replies. Give me a bit of grace. If I don't get back to you within 24 to 48 hours, tweak me again. But I'm the one that always replies, so, uh, and I'm happy to, to connect with anybody.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate having you is. on. And we'll have to get I'm together sorry. again in a few months and see where you're at. And- where Ricky's at, where I'm at. And, and, uh, It'd be
2: fantastic. You know, I, I'd love that. And uh, I, I love what you guys are doing, you know, because I, I think more people need to know about just the opportunity to, to live life a little bit differently. You know, it really is. And I know it's not the norm yet, but I definitely see the trend. And I see a lot more people adopting this way of living because it is very much minimalist, right? We don't need a lot of stuff. Uh, when you really figure out what's important to you in life, it's easy to create a design for yourself to actually live that life. I think digital nomads are definitely uh, in tune with that idea, that philosophy. So congratulations to you guys for, for really putting that out there. And thank you for the opportunity to talk to you and your audience.
0: Oh, you're welcome, Diane. We're we're really grateful that you're one of our first guests on this podcast. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, our friendship will continue, whether it's in Vancouver, whether it's around around the world, whether it's just on social media. And hopefully the three of us can meet somewhere else around the world. Uh, Because you mentioned the word digitize, and uh, that's one of the things I'm doing right now. I used to run events back in Vancouver, and I'm digitizing them, so they're going to be more online courses, online workshops, (laughs) online conferences. So who knows? I can, uh, invite. I, I'd love to have you as a speaker in our conference, wherever it is. Uh, Scott and me, we're talking about the Tahiti I'm conference, mate.
1: That's right. <laughs>
2: Sounds great. So, I'm in.
0: I'm in. There Excellent. you go. go. We got a first few speakers. <laughs> so
1: thank you for joining us, everybody. This is the Digital Nomads Mastery Podcast. I'm Scott Patna, Dean of Blogonomics and Podology, and he is.
0: Ricky Shetty from daddyblogger.com, and uh, this is Di Manuel from diamanuel.com. So make sure you connect with all of us online. Uh, we're all uh, social media savvy, so we'd love to connect with you. We're all about helping, giving back, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to Digital, Mastery, Digital Nomad Mastery.